Welcome to another Friday with Mooney Lyons. I am Ted Buckley, a financial advisor at the firm. Everyone's lines are muted, and we have had some really great conversations over the past several weeks. And today I'm excited to introduce you to our presenter, Dr. Bill Lloyd. Dr. Lloyd serves as Transamerica Advanced Markets Group Health Director. As a member of the Advanced Markets Group, he communicates the merits of wealth plus health throughout Transamerica, as well as to the professional and lay audiences nationwide. Dr. Lloyd shares his insights and common sense approach to better living as a key contributor to Transamerica's new age of advice. Over the last eight weeks, he's been hosting Recovery Watch, discussing, discussing the statistics, effects, and understanding of COVID-19. Today, he will provide the latest updates for our audience. Dr. Lloyd, could you spend a couple of minutes telling us about your current role at Transamerica? Oh, sure. Thank you very much, uh, Ted, and good morning, everybody. Uh, Bill Lloyd here in North Texas. I'm about 20 miles north of Dallas. And uh, for the past two and a half years, I've served as health director for advanced markets at Transamerica. And in so doing, um, I help promote our wealth and health initiative. And it's unique in the financial services industry. Transamerica rarely lets me talk directly to clients. I spend more time talking to financial professionals, but they know that Mooney Lyons embraces this wealth and health philosophy that basically says an individual's finances and their good health are inextricably linked in every season of life. And that means it's worthwhile preparing for the future. Plan well today. Make smart choices today about your finances, about your health habits, about positive lifestyle choices, and you'll live better tomorrow. You can expect to have a more financially secure, a healthier, and a more dignified retirement. Now, there's more to wealth and health than sloganeering. Uh, we have created powerful educational content that's available to uh, any of your Mooney Lines advisors uh, on topics like longevity, about living in the shadow of dementia, on planning to outsmart cancer, and many, many other uh, important programs that appeal to families young and old. Uh, everything in the Wealth and Health Initiative is available live. It's available in print, hard copy, and again, just, just reach out to your Mooney Lions advisor to get more. It's available online at transamerica.com. And in addition to those topics, uh, you'll also find that our new age of advice is loaded with a very original blog postings and professionally written and edited articles from external contributors, uh, bringing everyone uh, the clearest, best peer-reviewed information uh, to help you make the smartest choices possible going forward. So with that, uh, Ted, if it's okay, let's talk a little more about COVID-19. Uh, we're now here, like we mentioned, in the eighth week of these webinar visits. And with every visit, we seem to have more and more important things to talk about. Well, at at right. Transmark Advancement. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Dr. Lloyd, you're right. And, you know, with all the information available, I think there's, there's really three things that people really want to know. Um, number one, what do we know today? Number two, what does that mean? And three, what can we expect? I know those are all tough questions, but I'm hoping you can share your expertise with us. Certainly. Well, uh, let's begin then with a, a global update of COVID-19. So here on May 8th, 
There's approximately 3.9 million confirmed COVID-19 infections worldwide with approximately 270,000 deaths related to COVID-19. Here in the United States, 1.3 million are confirmed positive with approximately 76,000 deaths. Now, uh, people wanna know, is COVID-19 unique? And since this pandemic began, many people have been trying to make comparisons between COVID-19 and the Spanish flu, where others have tried to, try to generalize and compare this outbreak to all previous U.S. pandemics. Well, there's some important considerations and new information to help give you a better perspective about COVID-19 and how it relates to these previous crises. All of these other previous pandemics, we're talking about Spanish flu, 1918, Asian flu, 1957, Hong Kong flu, 1968. Well, they were all influenza viruses. Then we had SARS in 2003, which was a rare coronavirus. Now those first three were caused by influenza viruses and some of them were actually repeat strains of the same virus. The 1975 swine flu epidemic in the United States was the identical virus that caused the Asian flu in 1957. So not all comparisons are valid. Like I said, SARS and COVID-19 are coronaviruses and they typically feature a five to seven day incubation period between exposure to the virus and onset of symptoms. With influenza though, it could be as brief as two days. And that makes a big difference for public health officials trying to track the disease. Because if we know when people get sick and that's shortly after being infected, then we could have a much more accurate and precise real-time understanding of disease prevalence. Not so with COVID-19. And it's not absolutely valid to compare COVID-19 to the Spanish flu outbreak, because for starters, you know, we really have limited historical records with valid information. And the Spanish flu had much higher mortalities. Somewhere between three and 4% of all infected cases ended in death. And many of those deaths were not from the virus. Many died from secondary bacterial infections, bacterial pneumonias. And back then, there were no antibiotics. But since World War II, the introduction of antibiotics into general medical care lowered that risk, practically eliminated that risk of secondary infection because there were antibiotics to treat them. The one pandemic we should be paying attention to occurred 63 years ago, and that was the 1957 H2N2 Asian flu. It's full of lessons. Yes, it was an influenza type A virus. It originated in China, and it first came to the United States in June of 1957. So again, stay away from that myth that warm weather eliminated viruses. Not true. This is an outbreak that began during the summer and ran through the fall of 1957. It was highly contagious in children and it made them sick. Compare that to COVID-19, also highly contagious, but very few children got sick. With the Asian flu of 1957, there was a second wave seven months later. So in the winter, January and February of 1958, more people got sick, but here's a twist. In that second wave, the illnesses and deaths were predominantly among the elderly. All in all, it was felt that there were 43 million cases of H2N2 Asian flu in the United States, 43 million infections, 116,000 dead. If we correlate that to today's population of 340, it would be like having 232,000 deaths here in the United States. And of course, we're nowhere near that. 
Again, we're around 74,000. It's also worth noting that in 1957, there was no shutdown nationally or even at the state level. The schools remained open. And at the worst period, the stock markets briefly dipped by 15% and fully recovered. Many people want to know, what will my immune status be after I recover from an infection of COVID-19, whether or not I have symptoms, right? You probably know this, that there are many, many asymptomatic Americans who are carrying this virus. And your body will eventually clear it. Does it, does it make you immune to future exposures by the same strain? Well, the immunologists want to tell you, yes, that's how the immune system works. But of course, we're still very early on in this pandemic, and we've already seen a couple of variations with this coronavirus compared to, to SARS, for example. So people are kind of, the experts are holding back on saying that any individual who was previously infected would be completely immune from future COVID-19 infections. But science tells us it's probably valid. Preliminary evidence suggests that some of the antibodies that humans produce after exposure to COVID-19 are protective, but it remains to be definitively established. It's gonna take months to figure this out. It's also unknown whether all infected patients mount that protective immune response, or is it just certain subsets of the population? And how long does that effect last? With SARS, it was two years. With MERS, closer to three years. But that's what you want. You want at least one year's protection after exposure. That will save many millions of people illness and suffering if that second wave comes. By now, you've probably heard about the rapid anti-COVID antibody testing. Well, these tests, which only take 15 or 20 minutes, are, are sampling the blood of individuals to determine if their body has created that immune response against the COVID-19 virus. The test is not looking for the virus, it's looking for antibodies. A little drop of blood is added to a vial of fluid that already has viral genetic material from COVID. And if there are immunoglobulins, antibodies in that blood, well, then the sample will change color and will know immediately if you've been infected and understandably, the greater likelihood that you're protected against future reinfection by the strain of COVID-19. So in addition to calling it a recovery test, others refer to it as an immunity passport. Now, there are several good uses for doing this rapid testing. You can use it for individuals with COVID-19 whose original PTR diagnostic test somehow was negative. There are people out there tested negative and still got COVID-19. Well, you can go back to these people now and do the rapid antibody test to confirm whether or not they were really infected. It's also useful to identify potential donors for convalescent plasma, blood donors. For individuals who have recovered from COVID-19, who are now free of the virus, well, they give them the rapid antibody test. And if it's positive, well, then these individuals can donate a pint of their blood and that blood is spun down so that the cells are removed, leaving behind the clear yellow plasma, which is medicine. It's chock full of antibodies against COVID-19. And they can administer that directly to individuals with severe COVID illness. It's also useful for community prevalence to take a series of volunteers in the community, identify them by gender and age and economic status and ethnicity, do the rapid test. And by sampling an appropriate number of volunteers, you can then extrapolate that information for an entire community and come up with an estimate 
as to how many people in the community have already been infected. And then finally, it's going to be useful to verify whether or not a new vaccine that people are talking about actually works. You hear about trials for the vaccines and individuals volunteering to test the new vaccines. Well, weeks later, they go back to these same individuals, do the rapid antibody test, and determine if the vaccine did its job and fired up the immune response of these individuals so that they could be protected from a potential second wave of COVID-19. Remember, the single greatest risk factor for contracting COVID-19 illness is exposure to the virus. And that's been the rationale for all this sheltering in place and social distancing. The end game is to reduce overall morbidity, lower the number of hospitalizations, ICU admissions, and reduce the need for those ventilators. Now, have you all seen the headlines about the masks and the counterfeit masks and the bogus flawed masks and the poorly manufactured masks that have been smuggled in this country? Well, it's important that you have a mask that works. And when you're outside, you actually use the mask because we understand many millions are walking around carrying the coronavirus, never get sick, but however, they remain contagious. So healthy individuals should be wearing some kind of facial covering, a mask, a homemade cloth mask, you know, some kind of other fabric facial protection whenever they're out and about. It could be a disposable surgical clinical mask. It could be a scarf, a kerchief, even a pashmina. You don't need to use the N95 respirators. Save them for healthcare workers. Remember, the mask is worn to protect others by preventing you from spreading coronavirus. Wear the mask all the time if you're symptomatic or if you're suspicious that you have COVID-19. And if so, you should be staying at home, isolated to a bedroom with your own bathroom if possible. That protects your housemates. Remember, it's still crunch time. Stay home. Stay home. If we deny the opportunity for this virus to infect new hosts, the spread of COVID-19 will stop and the pandemic will end. Stay home. More and more headlines about vaccines. The count is up to 76 different companies and institutions that are competing to bring a successful anti-COVID-19 vaccine to market. And there doesn't have to be one winner. There could be multiple successful vaccines. Now, historically, we've learned it can take anywhere from 18 months, maybe three years, sometimes 10 years to get a successful vaccine approved and out to the people. But that was using conventional technology. Nowadays, the science is amazing. And with the introduction of the use of things like monoclonal antibodies, there's even a vaccine now that relies on messenger RNA. Well, uh, these approaches can greatly accelerate the time it takes to develop these vaccines. So we're hoping that there'll be a vaccine available before the end of the calendar year so that we can offer it to those most vulnerable, as well as to frontline responders and healthcare workers. (laughs) People worry, how will they ever make enough of that vaccine? Well, compared to the development of, of a COVID vaccine, manufacturing massive doses of it is a relatively easy part. There's multiple global pharmaceutical and vaccine manufacturers that are very comfortable working with huge numbers. And and there's a handful of them that already produce, each of them, over a million, excuse me, over a billion doses of vaccine every year. And they're gearing up to do more, to be ready so that they can ramp production once an approved vaccine is available for distribution. Have you heard the story about the Gilead drug? 
It's called remdesivir. It's been around for a while, but it's been sitting on the shelf. They previously, previously tried to use it for influenza. They tried to use it in the Ebola outbreak several years ago, but it never got FDA approval. Well, once we began to understand the genetics and how the COVID-19 virus enters the body, the scientists realized, hey, hey, we got a drug for that. Let's go back and find that remdesivir. Remdesivir is a powerful drug that enters and fools. It tricks the viral RNA inside that virus, that's genetic machinery, to prematurely hit the brakes and stop replicating. With regards to COVID-19, they've released the results of a randomized trial involving 1,000 COVID patients. Now, half of them received an inactive placebo and standard treatment for their COVID-19 disease. And the others got standard care, plus either five or 10 days dosage of remdesivir. Now, what's interesting about this trial was the metric that they were measuring was time to recovery. And they found that individuals that took the drug early recovered faster, on average, from 15 days to 11 days. But they did not report any significant improvement in overall mortality. It was felt that in many situations it allowed individuals to get better without the need for a ventilator, and that's a good thing. Right now, Gilead's offering the drug to those in need at no cost, and they feel they have enough in stock to treat about 150,000 severely ill people here in the United States. Now, although approximately half of the states in this country are beginning to loosen up those stay-at-home restrictions, it could still be very difficult to see your doctor at the clinic. American medicine is now shifting to that telemedicine model for office visits and uncomplicated medical referrals. Here are some tips to help you have a better telemedicine experience. First, check in with your healthcare insurer to make sure that this telemedicine visit is covered. The government is paying for most telemedicine services related to COVID-19 diagnoses, but if you have a wart on your arm, eh, that may not be eligible. So check first with the insurance company. Don't let the technology derail you. Make sure you find out beforehand what webinar platform your doctor is using. Go ahead, be sure you create an account and log in. Do a test run beforehand. Do not wait for five minutes before that appointment to start trying to figure out how you're supposed to log in and talk to your doctor. You're gonna be late to your appointment, I promise you. And plan like it's a real doctor's visit, because it is. Write down whatever questions you have. Make sure that the children and the pets are tended to so there's not a lot of extraneous noise in the house. Set the scene. Get a good camera. Dress appropriately. Get the lights on so the doctor can look at you through her camera and make an accurate assessment as how she feels about the way you look. And be sure to keep a pad and pencil nearby to take notes. Let's say if the doctor prescribes a new medication. Well, unlike in the clinic, you're not going to get six pages of paper with dosages and risks and everything, you need to write that down. And at the end, you'll probably be asked for some feedback. Be sure to offer feedback. It, it's the only way they're going to find solutions to make the telehealth system work better for you and every other patient. Remember the all clear rules for discontinuing home isolation after recovery from COVID-19. They're designed to prevent viral shedding so you don't give the disease to somebody else. Be sure fever is gone for three days without the use of fever-lowering medication. Make sure you've had a marked reduction in your symptoms, your coughing, your congestion, your body aches, etc. So, reduction in symptoms, fever gone for three days, 
And seven days have elapsed since your initial symptoms. So today is May 8th. Mate, your symptoms should have begun on or before May 1st. So we're gonna wrap it up with a list of things that you can tell your family and friends about COVID-19. COVID-19 is less lethal, but more transmissible. It's more contagious than other coronaviruses. We know that preventive measures work to protect people from the risks of contracting COVID-19 disease. We know there's no need to test if there are no symptoms for COVID-19. Instead, keep an eye out for those who are most at risk. We know there's still time to go out and get your flu shot. You know, flu season's coming to an end. And the vaccine, though, can still give you protection. There are still active cases of influenza out there. And the CDC says that approximately 60,000 Americans will die this flu season from a disease that, that can be prevented with an available vaccine that actually works. And remember, taking care of your family and spending time with your family will ensure their continued health throughout 2020. So with that, I wanna thank you for your kind attention and I'm gonna turn it back to Ted. Well, th thank you, Dr. Lloyd. Uh, I certainly learned a lot this morning and thank you for your time and we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to, to spend time with our audience. Um, you know, securities are offered through Triad Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Triad Hybrid Solutions, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Mooney Lyons of Financial Advisors and Triad Advisors, LLC are not affiliated. And the opinions are expressed during this session are those of the guest speaker. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today and um, stay safe out there, everyone.